Hello, everybody, and welcome Hello. to the Word on the Hill Hello. <laughs> podcast. Hello. My, we are the Lanky guys. Lanky. My name is Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Buzzard. You are in a distracted mood today, dude. It's, and that's all right. You want to know why? Because Thanksgiving's coming. Uh, I'm thankful for because there was a dude who it, like drove his Isuzu. Woman. That's the phone call. Yeah. Whoever you are on the other side of this phone. Thank you for calling during the lanky guys, but we're you not going to put them on air. No, okay, <laughs> dude, I, you're really rolling the dice on that one. I didn't know the number, dude. Oh, you didn't know the number? Yeah, that, that's like that. You're that's, that. live on the air with the lanky guys. <laughs> How can I be of assistance uh, uh, to you? <laughs> that would be really funny. <laughs> that would be funny. Oh boy, All but right. there's there's some guy in an Isuzu. It's a woman. Woman uh, driving under the influence and killed over forty sheep by driving into a herd of sheep. Yeah, this is one of those stories that can only happen in Colorado and maybe Montana. <laughs> but the headline was literally like 40 dead after after sheep hit and run. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not funny. Dude, you know what? It's- 42 sheep. In dude. a hit and run, I don't know how she was able to still drive away. Dude, I want to see Alamosa. The- you know how they roll in Alamosa, <laughs> dude. I, she must have had a cattle guard on the front or something. Yeah, dude. maybe so. Because, dude, I you just didn't even know. So, you guys, guess what? What? We're in the new season. So we could have just done a repeat for this week. <laughs> what are we doing? A bunch of chumps recording a podcast. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I was. I'm like looking at you, going like, dude, who's the chump now? We could have had. Wait, was this the first podcast we did? Was it the first, first Sunday, Sunday of, of Advent? Advent? Yeah, three years ago. I wonder what it was like. I should go back and listen to it. I bet it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I bet you it is. That'd be funny. Everybody, you should all, in honor of this, go back and listen to our very first podcast. I want to see listen. where we came from. I kind of do too. Yeah, let's maybe pause not right it and now. Listen. No, we. You have to go. <laughs> I don't have to go. You have to go. No, I. You said you have to go. Remember, you have a meeting coming up. So let's I get know. this show on the road, dude. I okay. So we did just pause, and uh, <laughs> we should admit it. And, and, uh, and although and it like, sounds seamless to you on the other side of the listening sea, <laughs> that uh, we tried to find the first episode because we can't find it. We can't find it. <laughs> it's not on the website. We could find the second episode, and it was hi. This is Lanky guys reflecting on scripture in Boulder with the Thomas. And it's like. We I, we were a little bit amateur back then. You were amateur. What, dude, okay, let's be honest. I'm just as amateur as I was <laughs> yeah, on, on like, day one. We have grown none. It's okay. Oh, shoot. No, we're, we have. I the know. The sound quality is better and the music's better. Dude, agreed. So. And and my hair is bigger. I, that's not necessarily true. I'm, I've am i grown. Ah, see, my hair is bigger. My muscles are bigger. Okay. Okay, well, you no, guys. No, they're not because you were into, they might be, but you were really into the insanity workouts. Oh, that's right. I, I remember because you frequently talked about it. That's true. I'm insane. Dude, <laughs> I, you know what I think we should do in honor of uh, starting a new season is I think we should Continue have our our, our, our introduction yep. should be as long as they were. No. Do you remember how much all yeah. the Baselli's would just totally, oh. <laughs> totally come at us? I do. It was really, it really But that first, smile. or at least the second episode, the one that we could find was only 19 minutes long total. Dude, the, that's wow. a short show. How did we all? How did we get out all the stuff that we had to say? Well, that's why we have to. There do were no it. shout outs yet. There was no shout outs or, or sponsorships or no sponsorships. So this week is sponsored by Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanksgiving coming to you since the Pilgrims. It's coming to you, since, dude. I may you enjoy all your maze. Having family fights since the 1400s. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The we're yeah. It's the first Sunday of Advent. You probably already said that. 
So we are. This is a new liturgical year. It's See. a new season or a fourth season for the Lanky guys. We're starting into. Yeah, we're 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 going at it again. Um, we're gonna have some exciting things, some changes for this new sort of round through the liturgical year. Rounded up. Surprises are coming in store for Supplies. you. Supplies. Supplies. Our first reading from the first Sunday of Advent is coming from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. And our responsorial psalm is Psalm 25, also known as one quarter of a hundred. Um, and, uh, <laughs> well said. yeah, you know, I'm educational. Good. And then it's a verses four to five, eight to nine, 10, 14, and one B. A one B is our responsorial Soliloquial. <laughs> it's our uh, responsorial because with great power comes Great response of trilogians. Our second reading is from the book of First. Our second reading from First Thessalonians. <laughs> That's confusing. First, First Thessalonians three, chapter two, verse twelve through chapter. My goodness, First Thessalonians chapter three, verse twelve through chapter four, verse two. Gosh, that was complicated. Dude, if you can't say it, sing it, man. First Thessalonians three, verse twelve through four, verse two. Yeah, that was easier. <laughs> Okay, gospel. Okay, so our gospel is um, Luke chapter 21, mm. 25 to 28 mm. verses. And then we skip a little bit of a head. A little bit. And we go 34 to 36. You bet we do. All right. Thank you for arriving <laughs> to the podcast today. We are not going to finish now. We're no. going to continue our We're going to talk about the readings. Jeremiah. Dude, Jerry. Jeremiah was an eschatological prophet. And he's going to fulfill the promises. Jeremiah, our reading from Jeremiah comes from what is called Jeremiah's Book of Consolation. Consos. <laughs> I'm just going to abbreviate everything you say today. Oh, abbreves? Abbreves. Okay, wait. <laughs> Settle down. We have serious people who want to learn the scriptures. <laughs> there are priests out there who have their little pen ready to take notes for their homilies. They're like, come on. <laughs> Mass starts in an hour. <laughs> Hurry up and say it. Dude, if Mass is starting in an hour, just skip to the last 10 minutes of the podcast where we bring everything together. Jeremiah's important. (laughs) Don't do that. And he was a bullfrog. We'll just get the show on the road. Jeremiah. um, Yeah, Jeremiah, it's a great... We were just in Jeremiah a couple weeks ago, weren't we? Yeah. Jeremiah is watching, just like Daniel, well, similar to Daniel, who we saw last week, um, Jeremiah is witnessing the fall and destruction of Jerusalem. Babylon has come in because they've been unfaithful, because Israel has been unfaithful. Babylon is going to come in. They're going to wipe out the kingdom. Jeremiah is one of the sole sane voices um, calling the kings to repentance, calling the people to turn around, saying, look, this doesn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. We are at the point in Jeremiah now, however, that it does have to happen. It's started. There's kind of no turning back at this point. Babylon has already begun the process of breaking down Jerusalem. Um, but in this section, so chapters 30 through 33, which we're at the end of, is, again, what's called Jeremiah's Book of Consolation. So do you remember in the book of Isaiah, we would always talk about how Isaiah is kind of split into two parts, the book of woe, the book of warnings, and the book of comfort, the book of consolations. So there's the bad news and the good news. It's kind of a, a woco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Um, Jeremiah is doing the same thing in a smaller form, but he's he's showing in the middle of... Really, it's fascinating the way that the text is put together because in the worst part of the story, the the moment when they've broken down the walls, they're starting to set fire and kill people, yeah. that's when you get the moment of consolation, of comfort, of showing, but this, there's going to be hope coming out of this. And this comes right after, um, in chapter 32, 
That's where <sighs> I jumped to first because I love chapter 32. Chapter 32 is this weird story <laughs> in, in the, the heading in my Bible is Jeremiah buys a field, which, <laughs> <laughs> which sounds ridiculous. But in the context, what's happening? Babylon has broken down the walls. They're starting to destroy and burn the city. And he's Everyone's making, fleeing for their lives. And he, he's making real estate deals? He's like, this is a good time to buy. <laughs> now is the time to get in while the market's hot. <laughs> Literally. Oh, oh, it's on fire. Wow. But that's what God tells him to do. He's like, hey, go buy a plot of land. And he's like, this is absurd. I'm sure he got a good price. <laughs> I'm sure he did, too. I mean, I, I think people wanted to get the deal done. Yeah. But, but the, the idea was, God says, hey, buy this field, buy this plot of land, take the deed, put it in a jar, and bury it as this sign that you will come back. This deed is actually going to bear weight someday. I know you're being exiled now. It's all burning. It looks like all hope is lost, but all hope is not lost. And this is your insurance policy that says, no, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to set things right someday. Sometimes God needs to punish, but punishment is always for the sake of restoration. You have to learn something. So here in the book of Consolation, here at the end of it in chapter 33, um, it's when God kind of brings this prophecy to a close. So now that you've bought this land, now that I've tried to show you, look, you are going to come back. This is not forever. This you're, you're grounded. You're kicked out of your room in a certain sense. It's not eternal. And the days are coming. This is where we pick up the reading. The days are coming, says the Lord, well, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to Judah. What's the promise? Well, The deed? Well, it's, it's debatable what promise he's talking about. There's the deed that he just bought. I think my mind goes back to the promise of Abraham. I mean, what's a Jew? What's a Jew thinking of? There's lots of promises that God has made. Yeah. Um. He goes on. He's actually going to quote chapter 23 of this same book, where he says, "In those days, in that time, I will raise up for David a just shoot or a branch. It's sometimes called. Remember, this is this famous prophecy. It shows up in Isaiah. It shows up earlier in Jeremiah. This image of a tree. Israel is often called a tree in the Old Testament. And it would go stumped. Well, I mean, this tree like, is getting cut down. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. But the stump is still there, and out of the stump, a little branch, a shoot, is going to form. There is always hope. Spring is coming. Yeah, it's a little bit like that deed if it were to actually sprout other deeds. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Oh, that was awesome. Thank you. But there is also the fundamental Israelite promise given way back to Abraham that God said, I promise you, you will have descendants, Abraham, and your descendants will have a kingdom. They will have a land that's theirs and there will be a dynasty that will rule eternally. And for the Israelites, that's not just a nice idea or something to aspire to. God said, we will have land, we will have a kingdom and there will be a dynasty forever. And if God promised it, then God has to make right on that. So if we're losing the kingdom, if we're losing our land, if we're losing our king, there's got to be a time that's going to come back. So this is what God is referring to. He's saying, hey, I promised your family that this would happen. Trust me that it will. So in the midst of, you know, it's like a parent in the midst of punishing their children, reminding them, it's okay, though. It's all right. You're going to make it through this. This is for your own good in a certain sense, right? We always hated it when our parents said that. It's for your own good. <laughs> but that's essentially what, I, I'm not going to abandon you, says God. You have to be punished. Um, and which, it, it which, go- yeah, boundaries actually make children secure. So yeah. that it's, it's it's saying like there's a, there's a punishment, but you don't even know how great the fulfillment's going to be, which is so easy yeah. to, to to foreshoot and to see actually foreshoot foreshoot the foreshoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse <laughs> is uh, Jesus being buried and oh my goodness, I didn't even think about yeah, that. and and like the deed. Oh like my, deed. oh me, oh my, I oh, didn't even think about that. Hoo <laughs> 
But again, this this um, promise, I will raise up for David a just shoot, for the king, right? He will do what is right and just in the land, implying you're going to come back to the land. And in those days, Judah will be safe and Jerusalem will dwell secure. Uh, this is what I shall call her, O Lord, our justice. Jerusalem is my beloved. You will come back. There will be a king. It, we're, we're living, uh, Jeremiah is living in the time of a king named Zedekiah, who is just the worst. <laughs> Zedekiah is just a nightmare of a king. Yeah. So if you're living in the time of a nightmare king, and God is saying there's going to be a king who will be just, who will do what is right, who will set things you know, to rights, that, that's a good, that's good, excuse me, I have the hiccups. That's good news. So that's the promise we're left with. But again, and this is important for where we're going with the gospel, it is in the midst of the darkest moment in Israel's history. Right. In the middle, at the height, at the climax of the darkest possible moment, this is when God says, but it will be okay. It will be set right. There will be safety. At the least safe time, at the least secure time, he's saying there will be safety, there will be security. Trust me on this. And that will very much, I think, apply to the gospel. What do you got? Anything else? Amen. Amen. Which leads us to the psalm. Psalmody. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Which, you know, you have to, the church wants us to read the psalm always in context. First first of all, of not first and foremost, but first of all in the context of the first reading. And oftentimes, I certainly as we've been doing this podcast, there are so many times when it seems like the psalm is a direct response to the first reading. Here's what the first reading says. Our response as the hearers is the psalm, which right. is fascinating because this is what this is doing. So you're living in the darkest time of Israel's history. You're seeing death, destruction, chaos around you. I mean, does this sound familiar? We're living in a pretty dark time with, you know, the terrorism stuff that we're all terrified. We were just talking this morning yeah. about we're just all scared. You're living in the middle of this. What is the proper response of the Christian well, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My soul is terrified. Yeah. I had nightmares last night about about suicide bombers. I really did, and I told you that, and I'm confessing that to all you guys. I'm, I'm freaked out, and sometimes yeah, I so have a personality that obsesses over things. So what do you do? Well, Lord, I lift my soul to you. Yeah, I turn those things over. That's the response of the psalm. Well, and, and, and uh, the response of the psalm, but then he says he shows his sinners the way. So it's mm. like saying, like, it's not that, that only the just get shown the way. Oh, yeah. It's the yeah, sinners yeah, 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 that yeah, get yeah. shown the way. It's actually the people who who, who mm. can't quite get it together. He's, mm. He shows them the way. And, and perhaps he, even the ones who we're afraid of. Right. And he says, and he guides the humble to justice. Justice is, is, I mean, philosophically, you can define justice as giving each his due. Yeah. So there's justice that we owe towards God. We owe God worship. But that, in fact, he's saying like, you know what? I've taken you away from your land. I've taken you away from, from the blessing. What, what, what is actually just and what is due to you? And I'm actually going to guide you once you once you have humility and are able to receive it. I'm going to give you what you what you need. It's just like Jeremiah. It's like this this expression. We're 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 looking in this moment, and he's saying like, no, I'm going to show you the way back. And actually, it's going to be all this is the, this process is all grace. It's and so humble yourself to it, and not don't be attached to how great you are. Humble no. yourself, and guess what? I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to give you what is most needful and what what is the promise. Change the whole paradigm for a second. You're absolutely right. But then okay. put it back in the context of the first reading in a very explicit historical way. Yeah. He says, I'm going to show sinners the way. 
Who are the sinners in the first reading? The All of Israel. Yeah, well, we know Israel. Yeah, you guys have blown it. In Israel's mind, who are the sinners? Babylon. The Babylonians. So who is he going to show the way to? The both of both us. of them, right? The both of them. How do you think God intends, or ideally, would like Babylon to be shown the way? Who to has He Israel. put in the world to be the light? Israel. Now Israel, by force, is being taken to Babylon. What do you think God would like to have oh. happen from that? Well, isn't it interesting? Even in the psalm, it says, "Sing to us one of Israel's songs." Our captors asked yes. us for songs, and yes. we couldn't sing the song of the Lord on foreign land. Yes, and and in a certain sense, yes. it's, it, it, there's actually a little bit of a hardness there. Yes, because they're saying like, "Who are who we is want God? to know? We want to know." I mean, this is clear way back from the Exodus. God says in the Exodus story when when they were they had the ten plagues. So the reason I'm doing these plagues is not just for the sake of Israel, but also for the sake of the Egyptians. I want Egypt to know me. I want Babylon to know me. I want the Assyrians to know me. You know, fill in the blank of who he wants to know him. Scott Powell. And I'm going to use the Israelites, or he wants to use the Israelites to do that. I mean, it's not coincidental that after the Babylonian exile, when the Persians took over and they were allowed to return home, tons of Israelites stayed back in Babylon. Which is why up until, what, the 40s, I think, the War of Independence, up until the 40s, the second largest Jewish population in the world was actually in Baghdad, was in Iraq, because they had stayed there and they had brought that. And then, of course, you know... The Magi. Absolutely, are coming from there because they've heard these stories. It's, it's begun to take root, right? And I mean, we still have some of the oldest populations of the, in the Christian world come from this part of the world, right? And that's why, um, that's why we need to pray for the Middle East. That's and, why we need to pray for the Middle East, because this our family has roots here, and it matters, and we need to show this part of the world the way to the one true God. And that's why so, he, sa- he says he will teach the humble his way, and so may, the, may humility be poured out upon all. And that's where your point comes back in, though, to make ourselves great and say, well, we are Israel, and we're going to show you guys. That's actually not going to do it. Only through this humility that the psalm references to. He guides the humble to justice. So if we want everyone to get their due, we actually have to humble ourselves. Israel has to be humbled and not say, well, stinking Babylon. God actually makes it very clear in Jeremiah, I'm using Babylon as my tool. Well, I was having a conversation just the other day about how the the church can, like, this is the thing, is that the Catholic Church, we can get arrogant about uh, the deposit of the truth. We can say, you know, we've got all these things. But humility it means being detached from your own excellence. Yes. And, 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 to, and tonally... Not denying it, but not being detached deni- from it. But That's being, an important distinction. But yeah. being meek, not having to capitalize upon the, the deposit. It's like, and, and that's the tonality that we can actually, that's actually more helpful to the world. The tonality yes. of saying like, Dude, we, we yeah, I would love to share the good things that I have, but I'm not so attached that I need to insist to you about the amazing things that I have. Yes, and that I have been that I've received and that are in the depths of me. And and I think that that's actually more healing than than people could possibly imagine in the church is just saying like just a little bit of humility about what the re- received um, transmission is. Which, yeah, absolutely. Which goes into Thessalonians. It totally goes into Thessalolo. We, which it says, the Lord increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we have for you. Like, if, dude, if you love somebody, you're not insistent about uh, upon in, imposing upon them what is inside of you. Where are you reading? Thessalonians, First Thessalonians three twelve. Yeah, but what what part? 
Brothers and sisters, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Well, yeah, obviously I saw that. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading this. Sorry, my eyes wandered to the second paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. The, the city of Thessaloniki, it's debated whether... I, I want to name a beer Thessaloniki. Thessaloniki beer. Thessaloniki brewery. But there is a, still a Thessaloniki in Greece, so... I know, I'm just saying. All right, I'm, I'm down. I'm just riffing, dude. I'm down. Um, there's debate in the Pauline scholarship world whether Thessalonians or Galatians was the first letter that oh, Paul wrote. Yeah. Some people think Thessalonians was. Either way, it's very old. It's, it's early on in Paul's ministry. He's trying to work a lot of things out here, right? Um, it was a very important political city, which I, I don't know. There, there's there's a connection there with our first reading and dealing with nations and things. It's the capital city of Macedonia, right, mm. which is an important province in the Roman Empire. So it's an important city, which um, it's not coincidental. So I'm, I'm, all of the readings this week, in some way or another, are, are, are fairly grim. So this first reading... Well, let's put it that they're not necessarily grim, but the first reading, you know, there's this very dark moment that God is bringing light out of. This, the, the gospel, which we're going to get to in a second, mirrors what we had a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's Luke's version of the end of the world discourse thing, right? The eschatological discourse that Mark gave us a couple of weeks ago, which it should sound strange to, strange, strange to us as we're beginning the new liturgical year that we're hearing about the end of the world right. and all this darkness. But again, it's not strict. It's all... All of the readings are this theme of in the middle of this darkness, there is great light coming. In the mm. middle of the darkness of Jeremiah, there's this great light that's going to come. In the middle of what seems like the end of the world, for Luke, there's this light coming. In Thessalon- and then Thessalonians, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'm thinking about Thessalonians. I'm not sure what the connection is because this, this reading is a little bit... It's a stretch to tr- for me to try to connect it. You, you made a good connection here about being, you know, uh, the love for one another and for all just as we have for you. But it's also in the book of Thessalonians that we have, first and second, that we have references to, um, well, it's where the concept of the rapture comes from. I don't believe in the rapture. The Catholics don't believe in the rapture, at least in the popular left-behind books way. But it has to do with the king coming back and being swept up into the clouds to meet him. It speaks about the end. When Christ comes back, what's that going to look like? It's also in Thessalonians that we get the insight, the, 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 some of the clearest insights into the Antichrist, the man of sin, who's going to seat himself upon the throne in the temple. So in the middle of these kind of seemingly benign letters of let's love one another and you're doing great and let's build each other up in the faith, oh, by the way, Christ is coming. You're all going to be swept up in the clouds for judgment and the Antichrist is going to seat himself on the throne. <laughs> but just keep, keep doing what you're doing because it's good and have faith and keep plowing ahead. I, I don't know because I was trying to find a good connection with Thessalonians here. You know, conduct yourself in such a way. I exhort you um, that that in the Lord Jesus Christ that you received from us how you should conduct yourselves. And you are conducting yourselves and you're doing all these things. But it's in the midst of that letter that he's going to tell them, but there is darkness coming. In other words, don't be deceived by it. The darkness is not in control because you know the story. You know Jeremiah. You know what Jesus said about the end. Conduct yourself. And and. I don't want to get ahead of myself because Jesus gives some very specific commands in the gospel about how to deal with a world in which we're trying to live with our heads held high as upright Christians in a world of darkness where it seems like things are falling apart around us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and, and that's uh, embedded in Thessalonians. And the, that's why I, I come back to the psalm and think about the, this humble nature. Like, like 
when I was studying um, ninjutsu and or when you watch uh, Star Wars and you and they're uh, constantly talking about, um, you know, being released as you do these things, that you're not attached or filled with hatred or rage or anger, but humility. And you, you like this is actually what gives profound strength because you're you're like, uh, uh, you know, arrogance and pride are actually sources of profound weakness that can be exploited very easily. If you if you've ever gotten like insistent about how how awesome you are in the midst of a conversation or an argument, it's like that's just it just really doesn't help. It it, it actually makes you really vulnerable to um, being manipulated and attacked. And yeah, so totally. like so as the as the holy ones, it says you should conduct yourselves to please God. It's like no, just be continually be receptive, be like children in yeah. the midst of this, and that'll strengthen your hearts and it'll make you an increase and abound. And and that's why this just shoot. I mean, how do you receive the just shoot? Well, it's different. It's not the trunk. Like, like it's 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 like something little and and like tender. And so to be able to say, oh, that's a good thing. Then then we're then we're heading into Luke. Yeah, it's also one of those things. You know, there's this misunderstanding that, and actually, people even say it to Jesus. Well, you're from this town called Nazareth. The Messiah comes from Nazareth. There's no references to Nazareth in the Old Testament. Remember that? Yeah. Some of the skeptics are like, well, there's no prophecies about Nazareth. But the word Nazareth literally means what? Branch town. Branch town, the town of the branch. And so, yeah, there's nothing that says Nazareth specifically, but there's a lot that references a branch that's going to come forth. So it's not coincidental. And it is according to the prophecies that Jesus comes from the branch town. The scriptures are subtle sometimes, but they're always, um, they're, they're profound. I mean, they're profoundly truthful. It's there. It's subtle, though. So that's an important note to make, especially for Luke, because it's Luke that tells us all about, really, in the most depth about Jesus' early life, that he comes from here, that people are skeptical that anyone could come out of Nazareth, but it's deeply embedded in the prophets. Right. So the branch. But, you got, but, but even that, it goes along with what you're saying, you've got to kind of look for it. It, it might not be self-evident at the first glance. Mm-hmm. Just like we look in our world, Jeremiah looks in his world, the truth of what's reality, that Christ has actually won the battle, is not always self-evident. We have to look a little bit harder to see it. Just like we have to look for this branch a little bit harder because it's not quite what we expected. Right. And even this Messiah, who's this itinerant preacher, you know, carpenter from Nazareth, he wasn't quite what we expected, but it's good and it's true. And if we follow him, it's going to lead to life. Amen. So that takes us to Luke chapter 21. Yeah, all three of the the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have this basically end-of-the-world-ish discourse, right? The eschatological discourse. So it's Matthew uh, Matthew, 25, Matthew 24, Luke thir- uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Um, John's gospel doesn't have it, and I think the reason John's gospel doesn't have it because he devotes an entire book to it called Revelation. Revelation. Which talks about this. So Jesus, um, at this point in the story, basically he has just predicted— it's right before his passion. He's just predicted that the temple is going to be destroyed, that Jerusalem is going to be wiped out, just like it was in the time of Jeremiah. Yep. He used the words of Jeremiah. says, you've made this into a den of robbers and thieves. Everyone's kind of freaking out. The disciples are like, um, what's, what do you mean? What's, what's that? What are going to be the signs that accompany this? How will we know that this is going to happen? And Jesus answers, and he says, there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, And on earth, nations will be in dismay, perplexed by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will die of fright in anticipation of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. By the way, does any of that sound familiar? Mm. 
we had this last week or two weeks ago. Like, yeah, we with, had with it two weeks the, ago. It's it's like this earth shattering event. It's talking about a cosmological Take explosion. Take the cosmological part out of it for a second, though, and just read this in the midst. I mean, I read this this morning, and I'm like, oh, this is our world. Nations are totally in dismay. I mean, take the cosmological stuff out for a second. The signs and the moon and the stars. On Earth, Nations it, are in dismay. We're perplexed. There are natural disasters coming that upon are, the world. Heavens are, will be shaken. All this stuff is happening. We are dying of fright in a real way. Nations are in dismay. We have natural disasters that are heating up. I mean, you know, at, at the risk of sounding... We have to be very careful because we do not know the day or the hour when the end will come, when Christ will come back. And every generation is called to constant vigilance to sort of expect that Christ will come in their lifetime because we have to be ready. At the same time, lots of this stuff has been happening over the centuries and he hasn't come yet. You know, every every nation, every generation, um, sociologists have studied this, and every nation or every generation has this thing about we always assume that our time is the worst ever. Because that's our experience. And so that's something that human beings do. And we always sort of assume that it's never been as bad as it is right now what I'm experiencing. And yeah. that's not necessarily true. But at the same time, at some point in history, that will be true. Yeah, well, and Papa Francesco right now. Papa pa- Frank, Frank. Um, he's like, he's like, how can we even celebrate Christmas? <laughs> I mean, like, it, like they're putting up the tree in St. Peter's and, and he's like, this is while the world is at war. This is almost like like how are we going to have parties and stuff? Yeah. Like I'm like, whoa, Papa Francis, you're like seriously, you're like there's a tone to what he's putting out there right now that's a little bit heavy. Yeah, I, th- I think that he's burdened in it. Well, I mean, also because ISIS declared war on the Vatican. There's he, there's troops patrolling. Like al- like it's it's really really intense in he Rome. He also right pretty now. much declared on Monday, I think, la- last Monday, that we're basically in World War Three. I know he and, called it a piecemeal World War Three, which I think he's right on. And and I, and I mean, I'm looking and, and and I mean, there was a there was an advisory for Americans not to travel to the Vatican. To the Vatican, I be- know, because it's so intense. Which so we pray for our little buddies and the little brother and sister who are going to the Vatican. Seriously, so I mean, this is this is big, and this this cannot be written off. I'm like, oh, well, it's just this weird kind of biblical eschatological language. No, I mean, this this bears us to note because. We are looking around in dismay. We are dying of fright. There are all of these things. The powers of heaven will be shaken. Um, but then there's the but that comes, right? And they will see the, the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. We talked a lot about this prophecy from Daniel, right? Yep. Who sees the Lord coming on the clouds of heaven, knowing that he's going to be turned over for a time to the beast, who will ravage the people of God for a while. But that's not the end of the story. It's right. going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And so Luke gives us this but, but when these signs begin to happen, what do you do? Well, you stand erect. You raise your heads and you know that your redemption is at hand. You don't be paralyzed by fear. You raise your head up. Right. Honestly, I mean, there, there's so much literalness to this. And I'm not trying to, sometimes I spend too much time on social media reading what everyone's saying and all the fear. And it drives me a little crazy. You know, yeah. well, what, what's happening now? You shouldn't and do that. Is there another alert? And what are people saying? And what I want to do is go out into the world and keep my head down. Because I'm like, well, what if there's an attack? What if something happens? I'm going to put my head down. And the gospel is saying, no, do the opposite. Take your head up high. Stand tall. Because your redemption is at hand and your God has saved you. You have no reason to fear. Paul says later on, do not fear those who can kill the body. They're not the ones you have to fear because Christ has already taken care of that. Right. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. We don't have a health and wealth gospel. As a woman crying out in labor pains. Right. 
which is what all of these readings are getting to, right? Beware that your hearts do not become drowsy in carousing and drunkenness and anxieties in life and that that day surprise you and catch you like a trap. All of these readings and in each of these um, accounts that the Gospels give of these end times, it's described in terms of a woman in travail giving birth. What is it like when a woman gives birth? It's painful. There are labor pains. It's, they're screaming. It's not pleasant. But the new life comes from that. And there's no way that new life ever comes into this world that doesn't incur pain. Right. What are we preparing for? We're preparing for the moment that Jesus will be born into the world. To remember the moment that Christ was born into the world. And to look forward to the day when he will come back into this world. Right. When he will return to us. Is there any question of whether or not it's going to be painful? That's how birth is. So this is where there's great hope. And if we look out in the world, and we, I feel like a broken record the last few weeks we've been talking about this. You know, we look out in the world, we see the disasters, we see the trials, the travail, the pain, the fear. And we realize that it's not because, so to speak, you know, there's this kind of Christian understanding that why do we care about what's going on to the world? On the world, Christ is coming back. You know, worrying about what's happening on Earth is just kind of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship is sinking. Let's just sit tight, wait for Jesus to sweep us away, and everything will be good. That's not Catholic. That's escapism. That's not true Christianity. Because we believe the more painful everything gets, it's not that the ship is sinking. The ship is coming back to the surface. It's rising up. It's being born into the new creation. It's going to be glorious. And when the veil is finally lifted from our eyes, and we see reality for what it is, there's a great analogy that... I heard it from Scott Hahn, but I don't think Scott Hahn came up with it. I, I was just writing about this recently, but there was an analogy that the days that we're living in, the last days, which we've been in the last days for 2,000 years now, so okay. the climactic days, right? The end times. It's similar to the time between, um, let's see. I hope the I'm water right. breaking? No, well, yeah, there's that, but he uses a war analogy. And he says, think about a World War II, and I hope I get oh, this right. The, the... Between D-Day and V-E Day. So D-Day was the day that we declared victory over the Axis powers. Germany was defeated. But after Germany was declared to be defeated, what did the Germans do? What were they doing in the concentration camps? They were going crazy. They were, they were going crazy. Why? Because they knew it was over. So if it's over, if we've lost, we're going to destroy as much as possible because we know we're done. It's, so we're going to destroy the evidence. We're going to destroy the people. We're going to kill. We're going to go nuts. But then VE Day came, and everyone was finally... Liberated. Released and liberated. We live in that middle time. Satan and his powers know that they're done. It's and like, the only thing yeah. to do is wreak havoc. And if we give in to the havoc that they're wreaking, 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 wreaking. Yeah, fine. <laughs> then we give in to the lie. Well, and it's like the scourging of the Shire in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. When you don't get it in the movies, but what ends up happening is that the that uh, Sauron and Wormtongue, they go and they go to the Shire and they're just wreaking havoc. They're just mm -hmm. like going after the the hobbits. And so everything's won. The ring is destroyed, but yeah. they're just like going cray. It's exactly the same. Yep. So if, if you don't have the context of World War II in your mind, but like, right. But I mean, I think about World War II and the truth is, is that that was way more terrible, but, but we're on the verge of something that could be like that. Right. And that's, it's just horrendous. And so God, this is the thing though, is that we, we, uh, we don't give into the fear and we know that Jesus is, is true and mm -hmm. that the spirit of fear is not welcome in the midst of us. And so no. we hold our head up high right. and we, 
we realize that we have been redeemed and and that there is a, a beautiful and profound grace, even if there is suffering, and we bind that suffering back to the body of Jesus and and call upon His name, and that is that's like the truth of our lives. Yes, and that's where that's where the authority and the life that that is meant to be ours comes from. Yeah, absolutely. So, friends, thank you for uh, tuning in and starting a new year with us. You uh, let all the things be forgot. And, and uh, things, things, things. I can't. Dude, who knows the words to old anxiety? All anxiety. Old anxiety. Old anxiety. Old Old Dude, that's not even English, dude. No, it's not. It's Gaelic. It's oh. Anyway, we'll be back next week. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See you guys next week. <laughs>